morning, church. How is everyone doing this morning? It's not very loud. I see everyone's missing breakfast. I miss breakfast, too. I, I, I miss coffee, actually. Um, didn't have my coffee, I know. Did everyone have their coffee or coffee drinkers? Please stay awake. I can still see. Uh, don't sleep. Uh, so my name is Dina. I am an assistant pastor at Riverside Lisbon. Um, it's so good to be with you this morning, and uh, I see a lot of new faces. Who's here for the first time? Ooh. You're very welcome. If you, you're very welcome. If you don't know about Riverside Community, we are a community of internationals. We are a community of people from different countries, different continents, different cultures, different ethnicities, ethnicities all around the world. Um, we usually go around and ask when we are not 100 people, when we started with 20 people, we usually ask which country you're from and when we count the countries, sometimes we have 20 different countries and 20 people. And I was thinking to do this this morning and then I thought, uh, no, because that's gonna take 30 minutes and I don't have any more time left. So I'm gonna ask this reverse question. Who is Portuguese here? Born in Portuguese, raised up in Portuguese, Portugal. <laughs> raised up high. Proud, loud and proud. Portuguese. Give a round of applause to the three Portuguese people uh, who are having us. Pedro is upstairs, so we have four. Uh, thank you for accommodating us and speaking English. For people like me who never try to learn Portuguese, it's hard for me. So we are a church of literal foreigners, right? We know the process of migrating. We know the process of moving how difficult it is, and we can uh, relate to people who move. And uh, Riverside Lisbon works with a nonprofit organization called Lisbon Project. So we partner with each other. And Lisbon Project works with refugees and migrants, providing them support and help. And we hear so many of the stories. We hear why they move, what circumstances cause them to move. Some move out of their own wish. Some move out of not their wish. They are forced to move. And we all move for some reason. And I want to hear maybe like three top reasons why we move countries. Better lifestyle, yeah? Marriage, the girl from South Africa got married to Portuguese here. <laughs> I can see that. Beaches, Portuguese beaches, nice weather. Uh, and then good future, safety, etc., etc. There's a lot of reasons. And I was always thinking, and we all have unique stories, we all have different stories, and I was uh, watching a story, or listening to a story two days ago, and then I was thinking, in the grand scheme of things, does everyone's stories matter? Does stories of ordinary people like you and me matter, or is it like the stories of King David, or Abraham, or, or Joshua, the kings and prophets, are they matter to God? What about us? And that's what we're going to go to explore today. So we're going to open up the scriptures like we do in Riverside. We are going to study about two random, ordinary foreigners in the Bible who weren't kings, who weren't leaders, who weren't prophets, who didn't do anything amazing, who didn't go to war. They were just two simple women who went through their similar life experience like us, even worse than us. And we're going to talk about these two women. And remember, this is going to be a two-part series. So we're going to start with 
One woman this week, and another woman next week. All right, let's dive into the book of Ruth, chapter one. And I'm going to ask Gabby, who skipped this week, to preach, to read the verses for me, please. Sorry, under the bus there. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. So a man from Bethlehem and Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. The man's name was Elimelech. His wife's name was Naomi. And the names of his two sons were Malon and Kilion. They were Ephratites from Bethlehem, Judah. And they went to Moab and lived there. Now Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died. And she was left with her two sons. They married Moabite women, one named Orpah and the other Ruth. After they had lived there about ten years, both Malon and Kilion also died. And Naomi was left without her two sons and her husband. When Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of his people by providing food for them, she and her daughters-in-law prepared to return home from there. With her two daughters-in-law, she left the place where she had been living and set out on the road that would take them back to the land of Judah. Then Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go back, each of you, to your mother's home. May the Lord show you kindness as you have shown kindness to your dead husbands and to me. May the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. Then she kissed them goodbye, and they wept aloud and said to her, We will go back with you to your people. But Naomi said, Return home, my daughters. Why would you come with me? Am I going to have any more sons or who could become your husbands? Return home, my daughters. I am too old to have another husband. Even if I thought there was still hope for me, even if I had a husband tonight and then gave birth to sons, would you wait until they grew up? Would you remain unmarried for them? No, my daughters. It is more bitter for me than for you because the Lord's hand has turned against me. Thank you, Gabby. Very dramatic voice. Uh, I love a beautiful story. I, I, I love good screenplay. I love when story is presented in a very good way. And this is a beautiful story that opens up. Uh, if we go to verse 1, that opens up, it says, in the days when the judges ruled. It's like putting a timeline on 1985, this happened. Right? So they, they put a timeline of in the days when the judges ruled. So I want to go back a little bit background of what happened when the days when judges ruled. So back in the time when Israelites were slaves under Egypt, right? And they, God brought them out of slavery through the promised land, through Moses, Joshua, and they were living in the promised land. But they were still involved in wars with countries around them, and they were no leader at the time, and there were no prophet. Moses died, Joshua died. And the Bible says, everyone in Joshua's generation who has seen great things that the Lord has done, they eventually became old and they died. And the generation that came after them did not know the Lord and started doing evil things just like everyone. And this is very startling to me. It's just one generation so people moved to this place where God gave them blessing, and then they never told their children about it. And that sometimes that's why I remember the children's ministry and everything we do for kids, it's extremely important, because if we don't pass it on to the next generation, everything will be forgotten. If we don't leave legacies, if we don't tell people about Jesus. And in this time period of everyone forgot what God has done, but God still raised up some mighty men and women who ruled Israel as judges, not kings, 
as judges. So this is like a temporary solution where when there is war and there's no one to lead people in the war, God raised a guide. God raised another woman. And then they go fight for the people and they free the people and they come back. This is just a very temporary solution, but the people still worship other gods. They're still doing evil in the time of Judges. And they never, there was no peace at the time. And the book of Judges, right before Ruth is the book of Judges, and Judges ends in this way. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. That sums up everything. <laughs> Someone told me once, man, we don't need religion. We don't need Christianity. If everyone just did what they feel is right, the world would be a better place, right? If you really think about it, no. It would be a chaos. If everyone just did whatever is right in their own understanding, it will be chaos because people are innately not good. So when I was doing my one-year plan, I was reading through Judges, and I was so furious with the book of Judges. I thought, man, after everything God has done to these people, how do they just go back? How do they just forget everything? How do they not worship God anymore? And then it hit me, I am one of them. I, 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 even after everything God has done for us, we always want to choose what is right in our own eyes. Maybe it's convenient, maybe it's easy, maybe that's more you feel like you are in control you don't want to give up control maybe you are getting a relationship that you really want we all do what is good in our own eyes although bible said in proverbs be not wise in your own eyes but we always choose what's good in your eyes and the same story happened here like in chapter one we were reading in ruth so elimelech and his wife naomi with their two sons who were living in Bethlehem, they moved to Moab because of a famine. Sounds very reasonable. There was a famine in the land, so they don't have food. They're hungry, so they moved to another country. Sounds sensible at first part, right? So that's Moab, that's Bethlehem. It's right across Jordan River, and, and this is a promised land, and there were some Israelites living on the other side, but still Moab is way south. So they moved to Moab, and uh, sounds very reasonable, but if you do, again, a little bit of background, Moab is not like Spain and Portugal. It's not just a country next to each other, and they, they have some rivalries in sports, but they just really peace with each other. Moab is an enemy state to Israel at the time. In ancient times, Moab ruled over Israelites. They, for 18 years, they were under slavery under Moab. And in numbers, Moab back in the book, some Moabite people seduced Israel to worship their gods, to worship, to do sacrifices for their gods, and they committed sexual adultery. And God clearly warned Israelites, don't mingle with Moab. Don't mess with them. They have very ungodly cultural practices. You live in the way I wanted you to live. Don't mingle with these people because you're going to get spoiled. You don't have control. And this is a place Elimelech wants to move. So Elimelech with his family, he's moving to Moab. And from the narration of the story, it's very unlikely he's not just moving. He's literally turning away from God. He's moving to Moab, starting a new life. He probably turned away from God towards idols. 
And what happens next in the story that we read? Elimelech dies. We didn't, they didn't tell us why he died. It just, he dies. And not very old age, probably like a middle age. And then there was Naomi, his wife and his two sons. Okay, they're trying to make it up. So they get married. The two sons marry two women in Moab. Again, another thing that God clearly said, don't do it at the time. And they still do it. What happens next? Both the sons die. Again, not because of what they did. The Bible is not saying why they died. They just died. So here we have Naomi alone in the foreign country, Moab. Husband died. Both the sons died. And she only had two daughter-in-laws. And the author quickly goes to the next thing of what happens. But I want us to like stay here for a little bit. Just think with me a little bit. So Elimelech, a guy who was afraid of poverty, who was afraid of emptiness, who was afraid of hunger, he moved to Moab so that he can get everything. And the very thing he was afraid of is what they are getting right now. They, they have death in the family. They have poverty. They have hunger. Naomi lost all the family who came with her. Everyone who came with her, they are not there anymore. And, and, and the sad part when I was reading, I was thinking is, we didn't know Naomi had a say in her husband's decision. We didn't know she had a say in her son's decision to marry um, mobile women. We, we didn't know. She was, at the time, it, it was very uh, patriarchy culture. So it's very likely the husband took decision what's good for the family without Naomi's involvement. We don't know that story. But all we know is, at this point, Naomi is alone. She lost everything. She lost her family. She lost her hope. And she called it quits. And she says, I'm going to go back to Bethlehem. I heard that God is providing some food there. I'm going to go. I, I have no idea what I'm doing, but I'm just going to go. Her immigration project failed at this point. Who had this similar feeling like, you, I, I had this once when I moved to a different country, and then six months into it, I was failing in all my classes, and I really wanted to go back home. But I really thought, if I go back, I got nothing. I have a huge debt. My family will think I, am, I let them down, although they love me, but I did let them down because uh, I didn't finish my courses. So going back home after losing stuff, after trying something and losing stuff is really hard. And, and especially for, for Naomi, think about it. Na <laughs> Naomi doesn't have a lot of option going back. So Naomi is an old woman, right? At this time, she's old. So her husband died, so she can't work in the field because she's too old to work. That's the only way you can survive. Or you can have your sons, your family provide for you. You don't have family at that time. She, ha she doesn't have family. Or she can marry. She's too old for that. Or she can have some land and do some crops in their land, rent her land. Bible says she doesn't have the land because sh she already sold the land. And remember, this is not a Western culture. This is not a culture where we feel like, oh, okay, maybe you can try something else. I in those culture, family is everything. And you cannot survive alone. There's, 
not just philosophically, families, everything, even economically and financially, in ancient culture, you can't be alone and just live your life alone. You have have be in, in a community. And everything that gives identity and name and meaning for Naomi is lost. She, she don't have family, she don't have companionship, she don't have kids, she don't have land, she don't have name, she don't have inheritance. She's not just economically lost, she's emotionally lost. She's spiritually lost. She's lost hope on God. She even said, maybe God brought this upon me. And, and Naomi, she made a sensible decision on this like 80 kilometer walk across this whole area. And then when she's walking and she stops in the middle and tells her daughter-in-laws, girls, you should go home. You should go back to Moab, get married, have a family. You can find rest in Moab. Because if you come back with me, I, I can't provide you. I can't help you. At the same time, those two women can't be of any help because they're Moabites. They're going to Israel. Like I said, they are enemy states. They are endangering their own lives, moving to Bethlehem. So Naomi said, just go home, daughters. Why would you come with me? Go find another husband and find rest. And Bible says, but Ruth still cling to Naomi, and they went to Bethlehem together. When they arrived in Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women exclaimed, can this be Naomi? Don't call me Naomi, she told them. Call me Mara, because the Almighty has made my life bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has inflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. It, it's the, the, the names have so much meaning in Hebrew. They, they name their kids and families based on the meaning. Very important for them. Naomi means pleasant. And there's nothing pleasant about her story. She says, nah, nah, don't call me Naomi anymore. Just call me Mara. Mara means bitter. I'm a bitter woman. I'm not a pleasant anymore. I'm just bitter. My life is bitter. My situation is bitter. And she's so lost, people couldn't even recognize her. They go like, are you Naomi? We've seen you like so many years ago. Why are you like a beggar now? And imagine being in the shoes of Naomi. And I'm, I'm, I'm not saying just an immigration project failing. Just in any situation, you are in, in, in a place where you are completely lost and you couldn't find your identity, that the one thing that gives you purpose and you couldn't find what it is. And then you start to think, does God really care about this, about me? Or does he care about only the grand scheme of things or does he care about each and personal individual lives? Or you're feeling bitter like Naomi. You didn't do anything wrong. You weren't responsible for the mishappenings that happened in your life. Maybe it's because of war. Maybe it's because of your family. You don't have loving parents. Or it's a bad relationship. It just misfortune after misfortune just happened to you. And you're emotionally struggling. And you're, you're bitter, saying, why should I suffer? Because someone else did it for me. 
Or you could be a Christian coming to church for so many years, life is good. But whenever there's an insecurity that comes in your life that, that makes you fear, you always run to Moab. You always run to your career. You run to your relationships. You run to your old habits. You run to your old lifestyle because you can't break away from it. You, you, you know it's, it's not what God wanted you to do, but you just want to do it anyway. And you feel restless and lost. And then you feel like Naomi at one point. I'm bitter. I, I don't know. To every one of us who is feeling whatever way I've described, Naomi is just reminding us one thing. However bleak a situation looks, however hopeless a situation looks, there is hope in midst of hopelessness. There is hope in midst of your identity crisis. There is hope in midst of your emotional struggles. And there is hope in midst of your loneliness, even if you're all alone. You have no friends, no family. But take the first step like Naomi did. Come back home. Return to God. Although you don't see all the solutions lined up, you can ask like, well, okay, I come back to God. How is it going to get solved? I don't know. Do you trust God enough to turn away? Do you trust God enough to come back? Like the prodigal son in the parable of Jesus, come back to the Father. That's where you can find rest. So when Naomi returns to Jerusalem, sorry, Bethlehem, very close to Jerusalem, along with Ruth, the solutions didn't line up. So they, they, they came back home and they can't work because they are old and they don't have money to buy any grain. So Ruth said, hey, let me go glean some grains. Let me go get some grains from the field. So quick background on gleaning. The word gleaning sounds, um, most of us are internationals, sounds not very common. So gleaning means picking up leftover grains from the field. It's it's very cool. Like we look at Jewish laws, we we look at Old Testament laws, and we feel it's very restrictive sometimes. But there is so many provisions that God created that is so beautiful. And one of the provisions is called gleaning. Is that God commanded the landowners that they should never get all the grains from the field during the harvest time. They should leave the corners without harvesting. And they also can't pick up whatever is left on the ground. So they, they, they do the harvest, they pick up the grains, and if it fell on the ground, they can't pick it up again. Why did God command this? That sounds very counterintuitive. You want to make sure you get all the profits. You want to make sure you worked for it. You might as well just get it. Let's read in Leviticus chapter 19. When you reap the harvest of your land, do not reap to the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. Do not go over your vineyard a second time or pick up the grapes that have fallen. Leave them for the poor and the foreigner. Why? Because I am the Lord your God. Since ancient times, God has a special place. God has a special heart 
for the oppressed people, for the marginalized people, for the people who are suffering, for the orphans, for the widows, for the poor. But remember, this was a time of judges. What did I tell about the time of judges? Everyone did what? What was right in their own eyes. And imagine we live in this time, and there is a God's law that said, make sure you leave some gleanings in the harvest. And then you see all the other landowners did not do that. They make sure they cut everything so they get more profit. And I can say that, and we, we usually justify this in our own actions as well. In, even today, we say, well, the, no, whatever I do is not going to make much of a difference in this world, does it? Everyone's doing whatever. The society is broken. The system is broken. Even if I'm faithful and obedient and follow God and try to do all these things, I'm not going to make a change. Well, we'll see. We'll see what, how God can use faithful, obedient people, even ordinary, obedient people, and he can bring his purposes in their life. Everything any of us does matters. It, it's this very important thing to know. When we talk about God's sovereignty, that God knows everything, it's true, but we have such a human responsibility to follow God. We have a human responsibility to follow, to obey, to be faithful to God. And when in this time of judges, when no one cared about God's law, and we are introduced to a man named Boaz. It's going to come in chapter 2. So Boaz is a landowner. I really like that name, Boaz. If you have a child coming, you can think about it. <laughs> he's a man of great wealth. Uh, and he's, um, he owns a lot of land. And he belonged to the family of Elimelech. Who is Elimelech? The guy who moved to Moab. So they are relatives. So Ruth says to Naomi, let me go glean some crops. And then she was gleaning crops in Boaz's field. Apparently, it happened. And Boaz not only allowed that gleaning operation, he, he's not only allowed for Ruth to glean or all the orphans and widows to glean, but he cared for the safety of Ruth. Because Ruth being a Moabite woman, she's very prone to abuse. Even from his own men, people can abuse you. It's, it's like, and we even see this these days. If you're a refugee foreigner, there's a, a place where people can take advantage of you. It's not, and because you, you're going to do whatever they ask you to do because you need to survive. And think about ancient times, like thousand times more. No one would, no one would come for you. And in this time, he cared for the safety of Ruth. So Boaz was telling, so Boaz told Ruth, hey, I see you, I heard about your story. I see you gleaning grains. Just stay with the women who is working with for me. They're like working women. Stay with them so no one will touch you. And then what? You after you after you glean, you can sit with them, you can eat with them, and then you can go back home safely. This is like way beyond what God has asked. God didn't say you have to do all these things. He's going beyond God's law to show kindness to these two widows. And, and that's the funny part. We're going to talk about it more next week. Is Boaz even tells his workers 
to purposefully drop more grains on the floor. How's that? And, and he's not having any romantic interest with Ruth yet, okay? So take it up. He's not trying to impress her. He just sees Ruth and he is really kind towards her. And his kindness and mercy are stunning in this story. And, and, and I want us to like quickly think about whatever kindness and mercy you showed today to anyone, you, you feel it's, it's not important or you feel it's, it's not going to change much in their story. It does. If God's going to write a story about your life, it'll sound like just like that. And these people are not special people. Like That's why we opened up saying, like the story started, there was a family. It's a random story in the time of Judges. And I want to also show something really beautiful. In this whole story, you can see that the scripture says, while Ruth was gleaning, she happened to come to the portion that belonged to Boaz. And right when she happened to be in the field of Boaz, Boaz happened to come at the same time to check his field. There's a lot of coincidences, a lot of happened randomly. So whenever you see coincidences in this story especially, you can see God's providence running in the background of the story. God is orchestrating something very beautiful since they came back through the life of ordinary people, through the faithfulness of ordinary people. God is trying to do something in midst of Naomi's emptiness. And you don't see that. And we don't see that in our lives. We don't see God working clearly in our life. We see that, oh, where is God? Well, that's where he is. He's always in the background, and sometimes we don't see it. There's no coincidences. So back to Naomi's house. So I'm going to fast forward the story. So Naomi, Ruth goes home and tells Naomi, like, mom, or however they call, anyone knows Hebrew? Mother-in-law, I, I got some crops. And she goes, what? That's not gleaning. That's like harvest. Where did you get so much? Well, you know this guy? random guy who came to me and said, be safe. And he told me about the crops and he told, give me more crops. And Naomi said this in Ruth chapter 2. Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, may he blessed of the Lord who has not withdrawn his kindness from the living and from the dead. Again, Naomi said to her, the man is our relative. He is one of our redeemers. He is one of our goels. Again, another crazy coincidence. So what does redeemer mean? What is goel in Hebrew means? In ancient Near East culture, the land is of utmost importance. Land is their livelihood. Land is everything. They, their families, everyone's land belongs to their families throughout their own generation. So when Israel moved to this promised land, so there was a lot of land, so God divided the land. Okay, this land goes to this family, this land goes to this family, this land goes to this family. And God knows that sometimes people just make bad decisions or people get poor and people get 
make mistakes and they lose their land. So God made a provision in the law that if if I lose the land, let's say, and I don't have the land anymore, so it goes to another family. If Jodeh is in my f- relative, so Jodeh can come here and buy that land for me, pay my debt, and then give me that land back to me. She's not going to get anything back. All she's going to do is like redeem the land back, give to me, and I can give to my kids. So my family always have a land. So th- th- that is an um, a there's another provision also, but this one we're going to focus is God is very caring for his people, even in midst of your bad decisions. And that's a goel. So Boaz happened to be Elimelech's relative. So Boaz is the goel for Naomi. So Boaz is responsible for buying that land out of debt and giving it back to Naomi. What are the chances? What are the coincidences? Ruth randomly finds a field, meets a random guy, and that guy happened to ha- happen to be the Goel. Amazing! We're now we are going going excited. Okay, this guy is going to buy the land, and the family is going to be happy again. But there is one problem: if the guy buys the land and gives it back to Naomi, what is she going to do with it? She doesn't have any kids. Who is she going to pass it to? Ruth doesn't have kids. Another provision in the law, which we'll talk tomorrow, it's called levitate marriage. So basically what it means is, in this scenario, if you... What's up, Gabby? (laughs) 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 All right, so basically in this this situation, if you buy a land you also have to marry Ruth because you, so that you, they, they, the family can have kids and they can, um, they can have someone for the land in their family. And you may think like, when I first read it, ah, oh, that is a good package, I'll take it. I'm, I'm going to get a girl and then buy a land, I'll do it. Well, it's not that easy. And um, let me put it to you this way. Buying land in itself is a huge cost for the buyer. Like I said, Boaz is not getting anything out of it. When he buys it, he's going to give it to Naomi. And then, a difficult statement here, marriage in ancient culture is not primarily for companionship. Like we do it in Western culture. We fall in love, we get married, all good. But in ancient culture, it's not like that. Marriage is very essential in a way for family. To have more kids, to have more generations and 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 it's still in some culture is very important the kids are very important the children are very important to pass down your family name is very important and that's a culture we are talking about so it's not just hey i'm going to get married it's like oh man i'm going to marry this woman and she's a moabite woman she's a woman that's not israelite so it's it's ethnically very non un- unacceptable at that point It is too costly. It's too costly to pay. And there was another guy in the story who's unnamed. He will come in chapter 4. We'll explore it later. So this guy actually rejects this offer. He said, I will buy the land, but I ain't going to marry that girl. 
I'm not going to redeem her. That's going to bring me shame. That's going to bring me... I'm not going to give all my wealth, all my things I earned in my life to that woman. I'm not going to do it. But Boaz did it. So Naomi still, she wants to take a chance. She, she encourages Ruth to go to Boaz and ask Boaz to marry Ruth. Again, another bold move in that time. Like you don't, a woman don't ask a guy to marry at the time. And Boaz says, I will do whatever you say. What? Why? It's another providence of God. And Bible says they get married. And Bible says they have kids. The couple who didn't have kids for 10 years, there's another, there's two couples who didn't have kids for 10 years, and they got married and they got a kid right, right away. Bible said, God enabled her to conceive and she birth, gave birth to a son. So we are coming to the end of the story, right? So at the end of the story, Naomi is holding the baby in her arms and the neighbors come and say, look, Naomi has a son. But Naomi don't have a son. That's his grandson. But it's like her own son. That's how much the generations matter to their culture. Naomi's story, when we read in chapter one, it begins with death. It begins with everyone dying around her, and then it ends with a new baby born in her life. It begins with emptiness. I got nothing. And here, enormous wealth. Your land redeemed. You have Boaz now, who redeemed everything with fullness. So I want to ask, so does Ordinary people matter to God? Absolutely, yes. Do what we do in our simple everyday life matters? Yes. And God can bring his purposes through obedient and faithful people. And don't ask how it's going to happen. Show me all the puzzle of how it's going to happen. We, we are reading a story like 4,000 years ago, how it happened. Maybe after 4,000 years, they will read your story if you're obedient and faithful. And it's a cool story, very good story, happy ending, and we're all happy. But if you're really thinking about it, if you're really following the story, if you're really in the shoes of Naomi in your life, you may ask, I don't have a Boaz in my life. I don't have someone who can pay my debt. I don't have someone who showed me kindness in my life, man, since I've been in Portugal. I don't have... There's no way people are going to give their whole wealth to me. Who can fix all my bad decisions, who can fix my wrongdoings, who can fix my life and include me back, give me new life and truly redeem me. I don't have a Boaz. Well, the story didn't end at happily ever after. And if you go home, read Ruth. It's just four chapters. And the last passage of Ruth, chapter 4, it ends with a genealogy. Genealogy means it's, it's about like who's who's born to who, and then it just, just it just goes through that list. And that's where we can find our secret redeemer, who's greater than Boaz. The genealogy ends with King David, the first king of second king of Israel, but the true king of Israel. 
And if we follow the thread of King David throughout the book of scriptures, we find someone who is a descendant of Boaz, who is a descendant of Ruth, who is from Bethlehem, from Naomi's hometown, little unknown hometown. There's someone who's named Jesus. And that's where we find our real redeemer. Like his ancient father Boaz, Jesus paid all your debts. He forgave all your sins. He adopted us in our families. Not just that, he didn't just wipe everything and say, go live your life now. No, no, he gave all his righteousness to us. He gave all his wealth to us. Legally, immediately. Even though we are like Moabites, even though we are enemies of God, even though we are rebels, even though we, we keep failing him, he redeemed you anyway. Like Boaz, he's our kinsman. He's a relative. He's not just some spirit. He was blood and flesh. He came as human for us. Boaz said, I will do whatever you say to Ruth. And Jesus actually did that. He paid the ultimate cost to redeem you and me. He did whatever it took to, broke, to break your slavery from sin. Even it meant dying. He did that for us. Being a Christian is not <laughs> saying, hey, how can I be like Boaz? How can I be good? How can I be better? Yes, those are very important things. But the better thing is look for the Redeemer. Look for the bigger Boaz. Look for the real Redeemer in your life. I'm going to invite the worship team. Isaiah writes this. Remember these things, Jacob. For you, Israel, are my servant. I have made you you are my servant. Israel, I will not forget you. I have swept away your offenses like a cloud, your sins like a morning mist. Return to me. Return to me, for I have redeemed you. And God is saying this this morning. I have swept away your offenses like a cloud, your sins like a morning mist. Return to me. Because you have redeemed us. We don't, we don't live like slaves anymore. We don't live like we got nothing anymore. We have someone. We have someone who cares for us. Jesus Christ is the real redeemer of the world. Through his costly marriage, that marriage that cost him his own life, he restores our life and brings us rest. Would you return to him this morning, church? Whatever situation you're in today, whatever darkness or struggles, and whatever addictions even, whatever things you want to change but you couldn't change, the first step is always going back to God. You, you, you can never figure this out on your own. You can never figure this out. Let me fix my life. Let me get better. And then I will turn and go see my father. No, just drop everything. Return to your Father. That's where you can find rest to your soul.
In Jesus, we have restoration. In Jesus, we have rest. In Jesus, we have life. In Jesus, we have fullness. And in Jesus, we have redemption. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning, God. God, I, I can't imagine myself being in the shoes of Naomi. God, I can't imagine myself losing all my family and just being alone with nothing. God, help us to have that attitude like Naomi, to return to you. To return to you, even when there's no hope. Even we don't know where to go, where to turn. We don't know how to provide. We don't know how am I going to solve this issue at the hand. God, let me return to you. And God, like Boaz, help us. Help us be kind. Help us to follow you in midst of ungodliness. God, help us not to have an attitude of everyone does it, doesn't matter. God, help us to really follow you, to live like Coram Dio, to in front, in the face of God, live in front of God. Help us to have the, the fear of the Lord. God, above all, above all, when I don't know how to return, when I forgot my way back to you, when I don't have any kindness left in me to give, when I can't be like Boaz, God, you become our sacrifice for us. You become our substitute. You become our redeemer. God, thank you for that. God, you restore our life. You give us rest. God, help us to cling to you. Help us to be with you. Help us to really digest this fact in our hearts that you are a real redeemer and it took you so much cost and pain to, to redeem us help us to follow you God God change your hearts God let the old things pass away bring new things in our lives let the old life pass away let the old dead pass away let the old news of death and suffering and loneliness pass away God let the new thing come new life new restoration new beginnings creating us a new creation God we pray in Jesus name